Hi, everyone. This is Janine Stanley, and I am here today with Clark Rashful from National Industries for the Blind. We are going to be talking as part of NIB's sponsorship of the 2017 ACB Conference and Convention about your organization. So tell us, what is NIB? Many of us have heard of the organization, but we might not know the scope of what NIB does. Sure. NIB, or National Industries for the Blind, was created in 1938 as an an avenue of employment for people with vision loss to sell products to the federal government. Fast forward some 70 years, and NIB is now a central nonprofit that coordinates with over 100 associate, associated nonprofit agencies located throughout the country that manufacture and package and produce products to be sold to the federal government as well as providing services whether that's janitorial call centers uh, contract closeout all cybersecurity all site types of stuff currently the over a hundred Associate, associated nonprofit agencies that NIB works with and coordinates with employ over 5,800 people who are blind, um, as well as 115 blind and disabled veterans. And there are a number of opportunities for careers at NIB, um, not only in the manufacturing and kind of industrial side of things, but also in business management and, and other areas, correct? Absolutely. And there's a, a number of programs that NIB and their associate, associated agencies offer to employees who are looking to advance in their career fields. So, for example, this past week, we hosted our national symposium in Washington, D.C. Yep. A lot of agencies came out for the event. We also included the Employee of the Year celebration in this event. And there were 78 employees of the year from 48 different agencies. Some of those employees are also involved with. They, they've they shown an interest in public policy and advocacy work, so their agencies have nominated them to be ambassadors and advocates for NIB and the Ability One program, both in Washington and locally in their cities and states. So they are going through a formal public policy advocate training program. Um, In addition to that, several agencies and NIB offer uh, multiple business management training and other opportunities for employees to gain additional skills so that they can not only have a career but advance in that career. So NIB is a lot more than maybe the conceptions of the blind community and the public would think. If people want to learn more about National Industries for the Blind, how can they do that? The simplest way to learn more about NIB is to go to our website, 
at www.nib.org. And there you can find out information on the types of products and services that NIB agencies contract to provide to the federal government. You can find out information about the associated agencies closest to you. And that would be a great avenue to find out more, especially if you can get in touch with your local agency, go get a tour. And if it's something that appeals to you as a possible training or career path, then let them know and they'll see what they can do to get you involved. Thank you so much, Clark. This is yet another employment opportunity for people who are blind and visually impaired. And we thank National Industries for the Blind for your sponsorship of our 2017 conference and convention. Absolutely. Uh, Next week will be my first ACB conference and convention. So I'm looking forward to meeting everyone and having a great time in Reno. Wonderful. Everyone, uh, introduce yourself to Clark. I'm sure that NIB will have a booth in the exhibit hall and at other events throughout the conference and convention. So please uh, say hello, and thank you so much, Clark. Yep, one more thing. The Mm -hmm. NIB breakfast is the morning of July 4th, so you will definitely be able to find me there. Wonderful. We'll celebrate our employment independence at that breakfast. Thank you so much. That sounds fabulous. Thank you, Janine. Okay, we are live again here on ACB Radio Live Event. We're going to be having a writer's workshop presented by the Board of Publications. And following that, we'll have the, the 2017 ACB Membership Seminar. So I'm going to go ahead and bring up the house because I'll probably be wanting to get underway shortly. And Paul Edwards and actually I think Doug Powell's going to be running this one. So here we go. We're live streaming, so that's, I don't want to. Yes. It's a TSA regulation. Come, come, uh, come. I'm at the podium, so come behind me. And uh, if you want to sit next to me uh, on my, you know, on the left here. Okay. I don't know if 
Defectors? I expected to get like down or something Defectors from what? Oh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, well. <laughs> so, uh, panelists, are, are you ready? I know Larry's not here yet, but... Yeah, I think we're going to, I think we're going to start. Okay. I'm just going to open my file, but I could do that while you're starting. Okay. Larry, are you ready? Yep. All right, here we go. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. This is my, my name is Doug Powell, and I'm a, an elected member of the Board of Publications. And uh, I welcome you to the 2017 Board of Publications, what usually is called Editor's Workshop, but we've changed it this year because it's really a, a writer's workshop. And, uh, and there are some editors here too, but, uh, but the main focus today is going to be uh, writing. Uh, and we have three panelists here at the moment. We have a fourth one on the docket, and I, he, he's not here yet, but we hope he'll wander in. Um, we'll start um, with uh, the, uh, with the not, <laughs> we, we got together and, and spoke before, uh, you know, before we came to convention. And uh, Judy Dixon said, but I'm not an award winner. Well, Judy Dixon has published 10 books for the National, you know, National Braille Press, uh, how-to books and, you know, and, and books on technology that help uh, us normal folks understand what it is we need to do to make the most of our technology. So I'd say that that's uh, pretty that, – that the fact that she's not an award winner is probably ACB's fault, not, our, not her fault. So uh, 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 Judy Dixon is one of our panelists. Uh, Alan Casey has has won the uh, uh, won uh, last year, I believe, the uh, the uh, Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award. Uh, and um, the third person is Susan Glass, who has also won the Ned E. Freeman Award. So. Uh, Welcome, you guys, and uh, if, if we could take a couple minutes uh, for you to, and I have, I have the wireless mic in my hand, in, at the podium here, so I'm going to hand it to Susan, who's sitting right next to me, and why, Susan, why don't you start, and, um, I, you know, I, do, do, do people really want people to go around the room and, and have everybody introduce themselves? It's, no, since we're live streaming, I think we do need to do that. Okay, very good. So I, I'm getting the consensus that it's okay. Um, how many of you are editors? Yes. Clap. All right, good. How many of you are currently writing? How many of you are making a career of writing? Yeah, well, yeah, people said, are saying they'd like to, but, uh, yeah, I was just, I was just curious who, who uh, very good, all right, 
uh, other categories that I, you know, that you would like us to know about who's in the audience? Wannabe writers. Okay. Yeah, creative writers. Okay, good. Uh, fiction writers. Couple people. Producers of audio magazines. All right. Great. Okay. So you're interested in, in, in starting a, a, a newsletter or taking it over? Okay. So we have a person from Hawaii who's getting as much knowledge as he can to take back to his affiliate in, in Hawaii and, and uh, work on, on that. Um, great. Anybody else have a, any other category? All right. People are, how many people want to improve their writing skills? Yeah, we all do, right? Including the panelists. Okay, so uh, there's one person who would like to uh, work on PSA writing. I, we're not going to cover that today. Uh, I suggest that you uh, contact uh, Katie Frederick, who's the uh, chair of the PR committee, who would be probably be very happy to help you out with that. What's PSA stand for? PSA is a public service announcement. So it's a free announcement that's put on radio or television. Uh, uh, so it's, that's why it's called public service. Okay? All right, so why don't we start... No, Katie Frederick is the uh, executive director of the Ohio affiliate um, in Columbus, I believe. Uh, and uh, she's also the chair. She's on the board of directors, the ACB board of directors, and she's also the PR, the chair of the PR committee. So if you go to acb.org and go to the uh, public relations committee, there's a there's a you know a, a, on the menu there's committees and task forces, and if you go to the committees, you can find uh, the PR committee and and probably and find uh, contact information for her. No, not at this convention. The Public Relations Committee has often had workshops at convention, but I, she didn't this year. So um, what I'd like to do now is, is go to Susan and have her introduce herself. And if you could, uh, all, all of the panelists, uh, talk a, a couple minutes about when did you, when did it, when did you decide to uh, turn your uh, internal dialogue into external dialogue. Hello, my name is Susan Glass, and uh, I have been writing for at least 38 years, which is the expanse of my teaching career and, and writing that's happened subsequently. And um, I write articles for, I'm, I'm associate editor of the Blind Californian I, I am editor of the American Association of Blind Teachers newsletter. I write for the Braille Forum. And um, I've written for another, a, a number of um, other academic uh, publications. When I'm not doing articles, my favorite kind of articles, by the way, are profiles and interviews, because I love getting to know other people. Um, when I'm not doing that, I'm writing poetry. 
and I have a book coming out in 2019. But that's all I want to say personally. I want to come directly to your question, Doug, which is when did I know I wanted that internal monologue to become a dialogue? I think that that probably started when I was a student, when I was a college student, but I didn't know it was happening. And what I mean by that is I was one of those nerds who loved school, and I loved research, and I loved writing papers, and I loved writing literature, and, I, and, and writing about literature, and I loved writing about bioscience, especially birds. And I would, I would write things, and I would show them to friends, and they would say, gosh, you know, that would, that would be, be a neat article for this publication, or why don't you come to our birding club and talk about that article or whatever. And, I, and it was sort of a surprise, because I was one of these shy people who said, well, yeah, I'm writing it, but... I'm just writing it to get it clear in my own head. I just I want to remember what I say because when when I write, I through braille and and then you know through audio, I literally see what I say and I discover things and they stick in ways that they don't otherwise. But to find out that people actually wanted to hear that and and become a part of that, um, that was what opened me up to you know gosh I, I want to share this, and it was never for me. It was never uh, an ambition to write to be a published writer or make a living, although that's something I'm <laughs> thinking more about in retirement. It was more because it was fun to share with people, and it was fun to be a part of a community. I love anthologies, and I loved article writing because you got to be a part of a community and hear other voices along with your own. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's about you know, finding some, some audience, however small, where you have a simpatico vibration, and, and that sounds a little mystic, and I don't mean it to, you know, but just just um, sharing with with others. And I think that started in my 20s, and it followed me through my teaching career and my work in disability studies, and it's just kind of um, kept going that way. And I want to pass the mic up. I can pass it along to uh, to Alan. And Alan Casey is a uh, is an ed- uh, an educational writer and a research kind of a writer, and uh, he's from uh, North Carolina. Susan, is, by the way, is from, uh, from California. So, Alan, uh, go ahead and... Okay, thank I, I think I'm the old codger up here. I've been writing for over 50 years, but I started as a young child. So, <laughs> but uh, my interest in writing really began when I was a kid. Uh, I grew up in a small town, a uh, typical small town. We had a, a one-room library. And all the books we had were on the walls, on the shelves around you know, the walls in, in the library. And um, for some reason, one summer I decided I wanted to read all the Western novels in the library. My grandfather loved Zane Gray. So I read all the Western novels. The next summer I read all the science fiction novels. There weren't many of them, but uh, I could read, easily read two a week and, uh, and finish it before the summer was over. But that sort of piqued my interest in, in writing. And um, when I was in high school, my senior year, I ended up in what was called Senior English. It was a strange class. Um, you could only be in there by invitation, which I don't necessarily advocate. But the teacher uh, selected, she was the guidance counselor, and she selected the people in the class. She had to be the head of an organization. I was editor of the school newspaper, so that got me in there. And uh, we spent the entire year doing research and writing. You had to turn something in writing in every week for an entire year. And uh, this lady was a real taskmaster. And uh, her, I'll, I'll give you her name. She's been deceased for many, many years, but her name will, will give you a mental image of what she was like. Her name was Kate P. 
Park's kitchen. And she looked the role, believe me. She was a spinster. Nothing gets spinsters, but when I was a kid, uh, we, you know, we had a lot of jokes about spinsters. But um, she, she really got me going with writing, and um, that led to that, and, and being editor of the newspaper, led to a part-time job for the, with the city newspaper, um, which also gave me a different kind of writing um, and not a whole lot of research. But um, I did get a chance um, during one summer that I was there uh, to fill in for each one of the editors, the city editor, the features editor, the sports editor, and I got to do their job for a week while they were on vacation. And uh, that really uh, gave me a lot of good writing experience and uh, interviewing people and that sort of thing. Uh, it even involved um, something which I saw, a certain kind of writing which I don't think really helped me very much, but for one week I was responsible for writing obituaries, <laughs> uh, which was rather ironic because that was the week that my grandmother died. Mm. And... Uh, you know, we, we, in those days, we didn't have computers. You had typewriters. You had these old Underwood typewriters that you had to pound very hard to, you know, to, to make the print legible. And uh, one morning, the funeral home calls, and the gentleman's on the line, he, and you sit there with a headset on, and he gives you the obituary information, you type it out, and then you write it up and send it back to composition. And he, call, he, he, he says, okay, so I have an obituary for you. It's Jesse Price Casey. He starts reading it, and then he stops, and he said, is that your grandmother? I said, yeah. I said, I've already written the obituary. So that was the end of that. But my writing sort of started it all over the board. Uh, when I got to college and then grad school, of course, um, you begin to focus more, and that's when I really got into research. And uh, my background, my interest primarily was in history and international relations. And so most of my writing was, was in that area. Uh, and most of what I wrote in, in grad school in particular, we wrote lots of papers. I have no idea uh, what I wrote. I was thinking the other day that there's only one title that I can remember. Of all the things I wrote in grad school, the only title that I can remember was a paper entitled The Cultural and Religious Traditions of Muslims in South India. I don't go out looking for it because I've got the only copy that exists, I think. Uh, I don't think anybody else has it. Uh, I made a good grade on it, but um, th those are the kinds of things that, that I did early on. And then later, I was teaching, I, I taught in college. So again, somebody mentioned there, they did some educational writing and, and lectures and that sort of thing. And you, get, you do a lot there. A lot, you have to do a lot of writing. And um, then I moved on to, uh, to management. And um, in management, I ended up doing a lot of marketing materials. And for the gentleman who mentioned PSAs over here, uh, I, I'd give you a little tip on, on PSAs. Keep it very simple and very short. Pick a topic and keep it simple and short and say something and just say, have different points in each PSA and you'd be surprised how many PSAs you can write. I've, I've done that as well and uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, you can, you can accomplish I think, a great deal with it. But that essentially is my background, um, again, research and, uh, and writing, uh, writing the results of, uh, of that research over the years. Great. Can you pass the, yeah. Judy's Thank from you. Arlington, Virginia. I'm Judy Dixon, and as Doug says, I'm from Arlington, Virginia. I have worked at the National Library Service for 36 years, and I also started out as a young child. And during that time, I have written dozens of articles and things like that, mostly for professional journals. And in 2000, 
I uh, edited and wrote several chapters in a book called Braille into the Next Millennium. And that was my first kind of book effort. And that was published by the National Library Service. But in 2008, I wrote my first kind of how-to book. And that one was on labeling, of all things. Could, who, who would have thought that you could actually write a 20,000-word book on labeling? Um, but I did. And uh, I, it's, it's, I really like this book. It's a book I would have liked to have um, gotten. So it was fun to write and fun to, fun to do the research for it. And then I started, um, after that, writing books about using the iPhone. And that's what most of my books that have been published by National Braille Press, I write them as a volunteer, and uh, I give them to National Braille Press, and, and now they're, you know, when's your next book? You know? <laughs> so we're already talking. The, my last one was just published two weeks ago um, on GPS and various apps. There's information about GPS, and kind of things you need to know to understand it, and then various apps about GPS. So um, the next one's going to be on writing, of all things. Mm -hmm. uh, writing using your iPhone or iPad. And mechanic, the mechanics of writing, not the, uh, not the actual content. Okay. Great. Um, I assume Larry is still not in the room. Is that correct, Larry Johnson? Okay. Larry, okay. Uh, oh, very good. All right, that's Larry. All right, come on up front then, please. You're you're on. <laughs> Your timing is impeccable. There's so many ponderosas around here. Yes, there are. Oops, sorry. Go go to your left a little bit, and then around the podium, and and then there's a hand. There are chairs along here, and. Uh, okay. Larry Johnson is uh, he's he's unique in this group because he I believe he has both won the Ned E. Freeman Excellence in Writing Award and the Vernon Henley Media Award that uh, the Board of Publications gives. So um, and I think the uh, the Henley Award he, he won just last year. Yes. Yep. So Larry is from uh, Austin, Texas. No. <laughs> Not Austin. Not Austin. <laughs> right, San Antonio, sorry. And uh, <laughs> in Larry's mind, certainly. <laughs> um, and, and Larry is a, a uh, he said he, he started out as a memoirist and now considers himself an essayist. So Larry, uh, perfect timing if you've ca caught your breath. Um, Tell us a little bit about yourself, and when did you, uh, you make the transition from internal monologue to external dialogue? Well, thank you very much. Again, I apologize for coming in a little bit late, and I missed um, hearing my panel colleagues in their presentations, so uh, I'm sorry that I did that, but um, I know I'm going to hear more from you all. Actually, um, I never liked writing. I thought writing was really difficult. And, uh, and so I uh, started out my career basically as a spoken word person in radio and, and television. And I always found it easier to talk than to write because when you write, you have to 
worry about spelling and grammar and all those other things. Uh, and so I never really thought about writing except when I had to write things for interviews and radio and, and uh, commercials and, and things like that. But that was okay because I was going to talk them. So I, I wrote basically as I had to speak. Well, uh, many, many years later, um, I went to uh, Mexico to get a degree in, uh, of all things, economics. And the only reason was because the college I went to, that's what they offered a graduate degree in. So I said, okay. And it was my excuse to get away from Chicago because it was too cold. Anybody from the Midwest? <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so um, Mexico was a very, very exciting experience for me and a lot of unusual things happened. So when I finally returned to the US, I decided I didn't want to go back to Chicago, so I stopped in Texas. And uh, part of it was because of the strong um, Hispanic influence. Uh, and all of my children were born in Mexico. My wife's from Mexico. So I wanted to be in that kind of an environment. I did a little bit of radio there also. And then I changed careers completely and went into personnel management. And I was an interviewer for many years. Well, I used to tell stories to some of my friends about my adventures in Mexico. And they said, you ought to write that down. You ought to write that down. Oh, I want to write that down. So I put it off. I put it off. And I finally began to write just little chapters. I never thought about a book. I just began writing these little chapters. And I sent off a few of them as articles. And they actually wound up being published in, in magazines. So. Keep that in mind. That's, that's a good way to start. Well, I accumulated enough of them that I said, well, maybe I'll put this all together in, in one book. And so that's how my first book was born. It took 15 years to write. And uh, after I wrote it and uh, I self-published it, I recorded it and uh, made it available on CD. And, uh, and then I told the State Library of Texas about it and said, you know, would you be interested in, in, uh, in my book for, the, for your collection? And they said, yeah, yeah, okay. So I gave them a copy, and after about six months, they said, we can't find the best narrator to do your book. Would you give us a copy of your CD? And so I became... I don't know how many there are, but I came uh, one of a small uh, group of blind narrators for the Library of Congress. And so my book, in fact, is available from uh, Library of Congress, if you. Oh, it's called Mexico by Touch. And so after that book, uh, I decided I would write a second book because that book kind of started off um, when I was a young adult. And I said, uh, um, so I, I had to write about my growing up years because, and I'm sure many of you also have had either a mother or father or somebody who's been really, really motivational and helpful and supportive of you in your growing up years if you were born uh, vision loss. And so my second book is another memoir, but it started from <clears throat> the, my early childhood.
that one I did not record because it's a lot of work to to uh, record a book. I will tell you that. Um, so after the second book, then I uh, switched and I wrote a self-help book. By the way, the second book is called Inside My World. It is um, available also on uh, Talking Book and in Braille from the library. Uh, and then the third book was a self-help book I called You Can If You Think You Can. And I've used that book in conducting workshops and uh, over quite a number of years. And the books came easier as I did them. The second one took two years, and the third book took only one year. And, uh, and then I got the idea of um, writing um, little commentaries for the newspaper because uh, I had things I wanted to say, so I'd write a letter to the editor. And they published it. So I wrote another letter to the editor, and they published it. And before I knew it, I was writing these things about uh, twice, three times a month, and they kept publishing them. And then they said, could we have your picture? I said, yeah, okay. Do you want to name your column? Okay, sure. So suddenly I became a commentator for the newspaper, and I've been doing that for four years. So I really enjoy doing that. So that's kind of my story. Great, thanks. Uh, it was the, I'll, I'll start with you since you've got the, the, the microphone. Was there a point in time where you felt like, you know, you transitioned from an aspiring writer to, hey, I'm pretty good. I think I can, you know, I think I can, do, I can really do, make a go of this. Uh, I'm hoping one day that will happen. <laughs> um, you know, I guess the question came up, and we talked about this over the phone, is why do you write? Why does somebody write? Do you write to make a living? Do you write because you have something really powerful that you want to say? Uh, and so it, a lot of it depends on that. I, I don't think I will ever become a, <clears throat> a millionaire in writing. But I will tell you this, I really enjoy getting reader feedback. And I think one of the things that I have found that motivates me to continue writing is when people will say something, you know, I really enjoyed that book or that comment that you wrote. And th that means that I'm on the right track. That means that what I'm saying resonates with someone else. And that's, that's the real payoff. That's the real joy of being a writer. Perfect. Uh, Judy, how about you? I think, I'll, I think I'll also answer the question of why I write, because I, I don't still think of myself necessarily as a writer, or a, certainly not a professional writer. But I write to learn. Uh, I am, I, the, old, the old adage about write about what you know, I write about what I want to know. And when I pick a topic, like picking the topic of writing for my next book, I, it's a topic that I have found daunting and difficult myself. So my job now is to learn as much as I can learn about it and do it so much that I internalize it and find easy ways to do it and then explain those easy ways. 
And so I, I am very motivated. I will, be, I will approach this task much more thoroughly than I would if I was just doing it for myself. So for me, writing is the best way for me to just immerse myself in a topic, and I benefit because I learn the subject, and then hopefully my readers benefit because they also can share in learning that subject. And the challenge is finding appealing topics. I mean, I could, I could write some really boring books, and uh, books that, that I think people really don't have. I've been wanting to write one about organizing, making lists and reminders and all of that, but I actually don't think that very many people would find that as appealing as I would. So, <laughs> so I've resisted... Uh, resisted <laughs> a, few, a few of us would love it, and... and uh, so maybe someday I'll do it just for us. But I think that uh, it, it, it's the people who would love it probably are, are already doing it. So it's difficult to uh, find something that really has mass appeal. Okay. Thank you. If you could pass the microphone to Alan. Um, first of all, I'll, I'll never be a writer for profit. Uh, I don't have the motivation to, to write things that would be commercially interesting. I usually write from ideas that I get. Uh, I have an idea file at home that will outlive me, I'm sure. <laughs> it's, um, I have folders and folders of ideas, and uh, once in a while I get around to some of them and uh, try to work with them. Uh, after, after I received the Freeman Award last year, a very good friend of mine called me a, a one-time wonder. And, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, I, haven't, I, haven't, I haven't written anything since, but I haven't given up either. I just haven't... Uh, gotten the motivation yet, but I have several things in mind that, that I'm, I'm working on. But I, I basically, I suppose, if anything, I probably write for pleasure and write to, to inform or to share ideas uh, with other people. And um, it, um, it, there's really nothing scientific uh, about the, the methodology that I use. It's just when, when an idea occurs to me, if it's really appealing, then I'll uh, do whatever's necessary to try to get it organized and get it down on paper. Cool. Susan? Yeah. Sure. Well, I, I would have to echo my colleagues in, in saying that I, I can't really say that there was a point where, I, where I've said, oh, you're good at this, because I've never felt that way. I feel like I'm always aspiring and I'm always trying, and, um, and so I don't, there's no pinnacle point. Um, I write to share, uh, to, to converse, to enter a conversation with others who are interested in a particular field. Um, I'm sorry? Okay, okay. Uh, I write to, to share um, and to enter a conversation with others who have a, a similar field. Um, it might be um, the field of birding. It might be uh, um, issues concerning guide dog travel. It might be issues concerning uh, teaching or students or classrooms. Um, that's where I got a lot of the writing started. I write to explore contradictions. Um, I, I still remember that one of the first poems I ever wrote as a child was the day that I was about, I was 11 years old, and it was in 1968, and it was the day that Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I had just come into the kitchen, and I was carrying a bucket with pollywogs that I was going to raise, and my sister came running through the door and said, they've killed Martin Luther King. She's six years older than I, and I was only 11. She was crying and said this. And I remember even then thinking, how do bullets and polywogs get on in the same universe? Like, what is that, right? How can that be possible? And it started me thinking about how we reconcile contradictions 
and how we can't just live in an either-or universe. We have to find ways of putting unlike experiences together. And I didn't know that with that profundity then. I, I just wrote down in my journal that I was keeping at the time, I do not understand why polywogs and bullets are in the same world, and I do not think they belong there. And later, I came back to that you know, topic um, for, for exploration about other such contradictions. You know, how is it that you can love someone very, very deeply to the point where you almost feel that you have a telepathic connection with him or her, and then that person gets into an auto accident, and you never even feel it. You're going to work, and you're grading stuff, and you're taking student conferences, and you're writing checks, and, and your friend calls, and she's got a concussion, and you go, how could I not know this? And how does empathy not extend that far? And those are the kind of things that when I'm, when I'm feeling more, you know, sort of deep writing inclined, I, I write that kind of, I write for those reasons. Um, I write to inform, I write to organize. A lot of times things feel amorphous to me until I, until I write them down. That's enough, isn't it? Thanks. Great, yeah. Uh, and now we've talked about why you write. Now, how do you write? In other words, you know, I, I, I read it... Uh, we just read a, a beautiful book called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Tolls. And uh, we, uh, we also, uh, somebody passed around uh, in my book club, somebody passed around an article, uh, an interview with him. And he said he, he outlines, he, he actually, this book, he outlined for five years and then wrote it in a year. So his emphasis was on outlining, and, and, then, and then he gathered the information he needed and, and put, it in, you know, put it down in writing. How about you? How do you, how do you write? Do you, do you write to uh, a stream of consciousness and then organize it later? Or, you know, those kinds of questions. So we'll start with Susan. Okay. Uh, for me, the process is, is kind of it's a dialogue. Uh, I, I generally don't outline at the beginning of, of a project uh, I start with ideas and more of a, um, a, a stream of ideas. I think I write the way one might garden. You know, when you plant carrots, you plant a whole bunch of carrots. And then in your editing phase, you go back and you thin them out so that you can have a, a, a healthy crop. And I think that I tend to write that way, too. I write enough and I generate enough material so that when I look it over, I can say, oh, that's an interesting idea. Okay, that point connects over with that point. Okay, let me go back. And then one of the cool things about word processing is being able to create a block of text and move it over. Because you all remember Braille pages and pulling them out, and you've got all these stacks all over the, you know, and 444 going through the part you just decided you hated. And, you know, it's, it's a lot, it's a, it's a neater um, process. Um, but for me, it's a, it's a working back and forth. Um, and I do this until I have what I consider to be a reasonable, coherent piece of writing. And then I put that aside, unless I'm on deadline, and I go do other things. I might, I might be walking, I might be gardening, I might be... And it's amazing how when one gets stuck in a, in a process, you can be out doing something else and go, oh, that's what I need to do. And then you go back and fix it. Whereas if you keep staring at it, it's, it's just going to get worse. And so for me, um, I, I begin with... with, with um, if you will, a, a little bit of a stream of consciousness flow. At some point when the flow stops, I go back and I look at it and I say, what's the shape of this? And if I see a shape, I make some notes on that and then I might make a fresh start and I might do some editing. And then from there I can start 
doing points. Um, now that's with, with more creative projects. If I'm working on an article, whether I'm profiling a chapter, um, a, a, an affiliate, or I'm going to write an, uh, a profile of a chapter member who's doing interesting things, I begin with a series of questions. I go talk with that individual, then I come back and I take those questions and I look at them and I say, which would be the most interesting starting point for this interview? Because just because I asked you where you were born first doesn't mean that's where we want the interview to start. We might want to start by describing you um, climbing off a horse for the first time and talking about that experience. And then the next paragraph would be, you know, horsemanship has not always been Doug Powell's forte, you know, but now it is. So um, there, there's that. Not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so there, there is that kind of flexibility where you, you let your subject and your writing itself guide you. And so for me, it's a constant dialogue. How do I know when I'm done? Well, I often don't, but what happens is that it comes time for the project to be in, and I say, okay, this is as done as this, go this is going to be. But I will say that I'm a person who passes through multiple drafts, um, four, five, six, and it's better for me if I'm going to show it to someone because then I'm, I'm much harder on myself, and that's what I need to be. Great. Alan? Uh, much of what Susan said resonates with me, with one exception. Uh, I will never write anything about gardening. Uh, my, everyone in my family has a green thumb. I have what is called a brown thumb. And if I plant it, it will not grow. Yes, I do. And somebody, somebody just asked, don't you feel sorry for the person who gives you a plant? And I probably have told many, many lies to cover that over, over the years to, to, to those people. That was uh, th those are the best tomatoes I've ever had, and, and things like that. Test them on humanitarian. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the screaming sound you hear is the dying plants in the garden next door. Yeah. Exactly, that's it. That may be the idea for a kid's book right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the dying plant or something. But um, no, the in, in the what I'm, in writing, what the real challenge that I have in writing. I think somebody mentioned this, I think, in our, in our uh, little conference call we had a couple of weeks back. Uh, the real struggle that I have is, is, is starting an article. That first paragraph, and really the last paragraph, I, sometimes I'll write the first paragraph and the last paragraph together. I try to tie them in together, and then you sort of fill in in between. But I really struggle many times with, with getting the, just that, even the first sentence that I want to say, I'll, I'll, I'll write that over and over and over again until I finally come up with something that I feel comfortable with because once I do the first sentence, then I've got to get that second sentence to follow on. And once I get through that, it, things, seem to, things seem to flow. But again, if, if I run into a block, and, and I do quite often, I, I don't mind admitting that. It's, I think that's fairly normal for a lot of people to try to write. Um, I will go out and work in the yard. I'll cut the grass. Uh, I'll, I'll trim some plants back, and uh, while I'm doing this, I may be talking to that plant, you know, take this or take that, or just working out that, that sense of frustration. Well, no, maybe that's why I have a brown thumb, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a little bit, a little Wrong too... attitude. Yeah, a little too brutal as, as a gardener. But it's, but if I, if I try to find some way just to relieve that frustration, it might even be going for a walk but something to relieve that frustration so I can get by that barrier 
and it will come to me. I've, I, there have been some, some times when I'd, I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and uh, it was sort of like Eureka. There it is. There's what I was thinking. And um, if I remembered, I would have some paper there to write it down, and then if I didn't write it down the next morning, I'd have no idea what I thought about, so I'd have to go through the whole process again. But um, I, I generally write... I don't want to call myself, I hate to say writing from inspiration because I'm not really sure how to define that. But it is, ideas come to me and I'll, I'll get an idea down on paper and then try to develop it from there. Sometimes it's research involved. Sometimes it's just writing from experiences, writing from feelings, uh, wh whatever. It's, it's not scientific by any means. Great. Larry? Well, because most of what I write now are opinion pieces or uh, commentaries, um, a lot of my writing contains other people's um, information. So I do research pretty much um, in connection with every piece that I write. Um, but kind of like Alan, <clears throat> ideas will just pop in my brain, and that's what starts me to thinking about a topic. For example, oh, several months ago, I was uh, giving a uh, a talk at a to a group of seniors at a senior center, and at the end of it, one nice old lady said to me, she said, "Can I ask you a question?" I said, "Sure, sure." She said, "Do blind people smell more than other people?" I said, well, uh, are you complimenting me on my shaving lotion, or are you asking if I took a bath this morning? <laughs> but that was a perfect lead-in to an article. So I began thinking about, you know, smell, and the sense of smell, and the other senses. And so then I get on my little Google search, and I start looking for things, and I find out things. And I learn, I learn all kinds of interesting things just because that lady asked me that simple question. And after I, after I researched it enough, I come up with some, you know, some pretty amazing things, at least for me. And I think, you know, uh, this was interesting to me. I think might be interesting to someone else. And so, you know, things like, well, the, the sense of sight is is like this. The sense of smell is like that. The sense of touch is like that. And so, and these are not original ideas. These are other people's ideas. But maybe someone else didn't take the time to ever investigate. I found a, a quote that I think is really kind of great. And I sort of live by this. It says, <clears throat> relying purely on your own brilliance is a sure way to run out of fresh ideas. <laughs> and so I really do thank uh, people who offer me these ideas. And, and sometimes, you know, I open a box of cereal and I see, holy smoke, you know, a third of it, the box is empty, right? right? And so I say, I'm gonna write about a box of cereal. And what are the other ways in which commercial industry cheat us? And so I began thinking about airlines. And you know, the airlines will tell you the flight will leave at 10.05, expected to be there at 11.10. Okay, that's an hour and five minutes, right? And then you get on the plane and the captain says, 
our flying time is 40 minutes. Yeah. You say, well, wait a minute now. What happened to the other 25 minutes? Well, what happened is that the airline protects themselves to be on time by giving you a false information about the duration of the flight. So I said, oh, that's something I can write about. So you just kind of trip over these things every day as you live them. And sometimes I write about disability, and most of the time I don't. But it's whatever I think is interesting, and I hope that other people may find interesting. So as someone else smarter than I said, write something that you care about. Because if you care about it, then probably someone else does too. Great. OK. I always make an outline. I start with an outline, and then I start writing anywhere on that outline. Little bits and pieces. Oh, I just throw in any idea I have, any thought about, even if it's not the actual words of the book, it's notes about what I'm going to include in that section or whatever. And I'm probably a better editor than a writer, so I write enough so I can edit what I just wrote. <laughs> and I write enough so I, oh, wait, something's missing here. That, that thought's just not complete. And I keep writing. I mean, I don't know what I would have done in the days before word processors because <laughs> it's, my writing is so fragmented. And I, keep my, I always keep my current draft in Dropbox so that any computer I'm near, any of my computers or even my phone, I can bring up my draft and, and make changes. And that, that really works for me because ideas just occur to me. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out a way to access Dropbox while I'm in the shower. Because I, I have my best ideas. Um, I, I have played around with a voice-activated recorder so I could uh, make notes, but it hasn't worked out real well. The showers make too much noise. <laughs> but I... I think that I revised my outline. I, it is not cast in stone. When I started the GPS book, I had a chapter on indoor navigation. And I said, I'm not writing about indoor navigation. I haven't seen an example yet that I think is worth anything. <laughs> so I've certainly, and I just, I, uh, when I went to CSUN this year, I went to all the indoor navigation sessions, hoping I would learn that I was wrong. And I didn't. I, I learned that I'm not going to write about indoor navigation, so I took that chapter out of the outline. So that's, that's my process. Great. Yeah, I notice um, when I'm doing email, you know, when I, when I have a, I've, I've considered myself a pretty good email writer, persuasive emails. And uh, so I'll get an idea and I'll, I'll percolate on it for a couple of days. I don't, you know, I, I don't know if you guys do this also. Um, you know, I'll just I'll walk away and percolate on it and sort of systems think it and, and that kind of thing. And then I'll sit down. And uh, as, as you can tell our age because we're both we're, all of us are kind of referring to the days before computers. <laughs> and uh, I did my schooling. I can't imagine how different my schooling would have been if, we, if we'd had word processing back when I was in school. Because I, I started. Well, of course, I waited till the last minute. And then, and then I would write it, you know, furiously write it, 
And in the middle, I would say, oh, my God, I should have, you know, I should have done it this way and it would have gone a lot better, you know, organized that way and, and that kind of thing. But I was too far down the road and it was getting late and that kind of thing. So I ended up uh, finishing it off. But uh, we, uh, it, word processing is such a wonderful tool, isn't it? Yes, I was just going to go there and do that. So, so, so uh, go ahead and, and ask one. Hold on. I will do that. I, I will do that. The question is about how to use Dropbox as far as if you have a question, a section that you're not sure about or um, something you don't know what to do with, how do you do that kind of editing? I make a folder in Dropbox, and one of the files in the folder is the actual draft of the book, but I, put, I throw all kinds of other bits and pieces, um, even, even articles that relate to the topic and everything else. I probably end up with 30 or 40 files in my Dropbox folder that relates to a particular book as I'm writing it. And if there's a chunk I'm thinking, I don't really want this in there, this is not gonna work, I'll, I'll just clip it out and then save it as a f another file in, the in that folder just in case I decide I really do need it or there's something in it that I didn't wanna, I never get rid of anything. So, <laughs> so uh, a Dropbox is a great way to manage that process. I, we had a, we had another question over here on the side, a gentleman over here. Front row, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, please. So, um, who are you? My name is George. George, hi. Since so I have the microphone in my hand, I, I'm going to start with this. The question is about research and how the gentleman says that he uses, he's very young, and he uses the National Library Service for research and um, finds the internet a little bit daunting. I would suggest to you that because NLS is a recreational reading program, that it probably isn't the best place to do research. Um, there's, and, and there'd be 
in at NLS there would be relatively little primary resources. Um, when you do your research on the internet, you might when you do your Google search, one of the ways to sort the huge number of things that you find, sort them into things that might be good for you to look at and might and other things might not, would be to ask yourself, is this resource a primary resource? And, and do you know what I mean by primary resource? Yes. Okay. So if it's a primary resource, um, if, then that's a really good place to... Um, when I was researching GPS and I discovered a website called www.gps.gov, and this is the government's website where the government puts out information on its GPS policies. Well, that was a pretty good primary resource to get information about GPS. Um, whereas when I found websites about, you know... Wikipedia. Yeah, we... <laughs> well, actually, the, you know, the, in the library world, of course, they talk a lot about things, Wikipedia and other encyclopedias. And I read... A, um, I read a research article a couple of years ago now that was done that actually evaluated Wikipedia against the traditional uh, encyclopedias like Britannica and so forth. And they all have eras. And this, this article found, they had sampled some articles and then researched them and, and found that Wikipedia had, had no more, no less eras than, than any of the other traditional encyclopedias. So uh, Wikipedia is not a bad place to go for your research, and that's another way to approach it: is go to go to Wikipedia and then branch out from there. Anybody else want to take a crack at that? Then, how you use the internet? About eighty percent of the essays or opinion pieces that I write um, in, include data or quotations from um, other sources. And so I use Google search a lot. Uh, and, and what becomes important is how you search using Google. You can use topics or you can use questions. And sometimes you have to do it several different ways before you get to the, um, the uh, information sources that you need. Uh, because I have to turn in a piece now every two weeks, I have, uh, I have set deadlines for myself. And usually, I'll have a, a batch of ideas that I want to work on, and I'll decide, okay, today, I'm going to write about, you know, smells. Or I just did a piece recently about elder abuse and, uh, and the problems and the and, and the, uh, the types of elder abuse and, and you know, what causes it and how many people experience it and so forth. So I had to do quite a bit of research. And you want to make sure that you don't bore your reader by just too much facts. You've got to include some commentary along with it. And so you, you, you don't just want to give them a, a digest of, of certain uh, magazines or reports from the government. You've got to include and make it personal in some way, shape, or form. And I will sit down and decide, today, I'm going to write the piece. 
and I, I won't stop until I do. And I finish the piece, and I rewrite it, and I rewrite it, and I rewrite it until I'm happy with it. And I usually try to have some sort of conclusion at the end. And uh, it either is uh, my uh, opinion or recommendation, or maybe it's a little kind of a twist. I love humor. I think humor is important to include in all types of writing. So that's how I approach it. And so usually Thursday or Friday are my must-write day because I have to get the piece in a week ahead of time. Great. I, uh, I'd love to take more questions, but I think what you, uh, the, uh, the next thing that we have on the agenda is to talk about resources available to writers about writing. And... Um, you know, so um, unless somebody has a really burning question, I, I, I'd like to have our panelists talk about the resources they use in writing. You know, I remember back when I had more vision, there was a writer's market. You know, it was a book, and uh, it had all sorts of uh, you know places that you could send your stuff and uh, get it read and 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 rejected. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but. Uh, you know, so what in this day in 2017, um, where you know what what writing resources do you use and and in, in, in what media? I'm going to pass that over to yeah to Susan. I can start. Sure. So uh, something uh, there's there's a publication that I refer often and to and it's called Poets and Writers Magazine. It was formerly known as CODA. It is available through both Bookshore, Bookshare, and I even have the ID for it. It's 48019. So if you're using Bookshare and you go to periodicals, um, and then you, um, you can either type that ID number in or, or go for the letter P and wait till you get that publication. Poets and Writers, uh, and it's also available through NFB Newsline, I believe, and Poets and Writers is a magazine that's published every other month, and it, it has articles and... Um, and, and writing itself on just about everything you can imagine. But typical entries will include announcements about upcoming writers' contests or conferences or publications and kinds of articles they're looking for. There'll be articles on query letters. Um, each issue will have a special theme. Um, so one, one issue focused, there was a whole series of articles on what are called MFA programs, Masters in Fine Arts programs, um, and and what which ones feature what qualities? You, there are some that you can go to if you also want to have some sort of community service or environmental emphasis while you write. There are some that are just strictly writing. There are some that are called low residency, and the premise behind those uh, degree programs is, of course, that you are working full time, you're busy, and you need to you can't come to class every day. So you might have a writing retreat weekend. Then you're assigned a mentor, and you you. Um, work with that person through the internet and through mail and so on. Um, anyway, it's a very good uh, publication. Um, this, this autumn they're going to feature um, f small presses and um, presses that publish things like chapbooks. It's a very good place to go. It's like the writer's market except that it's tiny and every month you get a new little dose of this or that. And so you can, it's a very good place to find those, those things. Um, the writer uh, is available through BART as a narrated magazine. Um, there's also a publication online called The Morning Coffee Newsletter. And if you Google it, that's all you need to do to get it. But what they do is they send out freelance job listings on a, on a weekly basis where you know, they'll, they'll say, you know, such and such a company is looking for a blogger 
or um, academic study is looking for articles on physics, or this, this organization is looking for articles about pets. Um, and that's a, that's a good place to go. I heard someone in the, uh, in the room mention that you are a creative writer. There is um, a, a, a website called Creative Writing Opportunities. It's the, the acronym is CROPS, or C-R-W-R-O-P-P-S. So CR for creative, uh, uh, WR for writing, ops for opportunities. And if you just Google that, you can find it. It's a Yahoo-based uh, group that you join, and the moderator sends out information all the time about publications that are looking for poetry, for fiction, for magazine articles. Um, it, is a, it is a Yahoo-based group, and it's pretty uh, easy, easy to, uh, to use for that. Um, and uh, also job updates, like if you're looking to, to teach in a particular location. Finally, the, 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 okay, the freelance, the, the freelance uh, newsletter is called the Morning Coffee Newsletter, and you just, um, you, you just uh, Google that, and it'll take you there, and then you, from there you can go to freelancewriters.com, which, which is a website. The final um, piece that I wanted to share is there is a, a, a book that I just downloaded because I've started to do some book editing for people, and it's called Editorial Freelancer. It's, it's published by the Editorial Freelancers Association, and it's the Code of Fair Practice, third edition, and it's a free PDF file um, that was updated and revised in September of 2007. And it basically goes through how you work with other, if you're contracting with a writer and you're going to do some editing for that person or you're going to do some ghost writing or whatever you're going to do, how do you decide on your fees? How do you decide on how much pro bono work you're going to do? It's a really, really cool publication. And it's, so, so I'll give you the, the full title again. Um, and, and all of these are available just through a Google search. It's, it's amazing. Uh, it is called, if you, the, the website is the Editorial Freelancers Association. The book is called Code of Fair Practice. You want the third edition updated and revised in September 2007. It is a free downloadable PDF file. And I just got it this year, and it's been very good to me. But I think I've taken up too much time. I'm sorry. All right. Somebody else want to take a crack at res writing resources? I just want to uh, mention again the Writer Magazine. I want to tell you it has been invaluable to me. Uh, and it is uh, available. Um, you can subscribe to it from NLS, and they will send it to you monthly. You do have to send it back. You, know, you can't keep it. But it is also, you can subscribe to it, and, and you can go online, and they have an incredible array of resources online, including uh, market listings. They have you know, special articles uh, that are devoted to their readers on uh, writer's block or how to write a, um, a um, uh, what do you call it, a, a letter to, um, to a publisher or to a to a potential literary agent. It's, I, I can't tell you how much it has been a help to me. And whether you write fiction or nonfiction or poetry, there is always something in their magazine for you. It's just called The Writer. Great. Um,
can I have the can I have the mic? Hold on just a second. Hold on, hold on. Uh, yeah, it's um. There's a book I found. It's it's how to publish digitally, uh, for free basically. So if you want to get your book published, you know, digitally, you can just get it out there by yourself. And then um, there's also if you like comedy writing, I've actually wrote for Cracked a few times and gotten paid to do so. So uh, that's actually a pretty good resource if you like to. I know it's great for people who like you said are interested in things and then other people might be interested in. Um, they have all these lists, so I've written for them a few times. Yeah. Great. So the other thing is, if you, you're just getting started, um, you know, there's something called the ACB Braille Forum. And um, uh, Sharon is always looking for articles. And so, uh, you know, please feel free to write something up and submit it. And uh, the Board of Publications gives a, uh, uh, you know, as I said, we, we give two, uh, two awards for that, you know, could conceivably be for writing. There, there's a third award. Uh, well, and, and also affiliate newsletters, too. So, if, you know, if your state affiliate has a, has a new, newsletter, that's certainly an opportunity for you to, uh, to test your wings and, and get some feedback. Um, the, the the two awards that, uh, that again that the board of publications gives out is the Nettie Freeman uh, Ex Excellence in Writing Award and the um, Vernon Henley Media Award, which uh, 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 honors someone who has uh, portrayed the the blindness community in a positive way through a media piece. Uh, either internally to the to the uh, blindness community or externally to the general public. So, is there, do you know the date for the deadline for those um, publications? The, which, the, uh, the, the Braille Forum? The Braille Forum, the ACB Braille Forum is published monthly. So, uh, uh, and usually the deadline is the 25th of um, the month that's two months before the publication date. So it takes a whole month to... You know, it takes a whole month to to uh, to, to assemble it. Pardon? Month and five days, give or take. Right, month and five days, give or take. But uh, yeah, so the so if you send it in in, in uh, by July twenty fourth, um, it will be published in the uh, September issue. Okay. Thank you very very much for coming, and uh, thank you very much, panelists, uh, Judy Dixon. And Larry Johnson and Alan Casey and uh, Susan Glass.